0: Testing, one, two, three. Rackhouse Ramblings, episode 17. This is take one. Hello, this is Rackhouse Ramblings. I'm Jeff, and this is episode 17. Wow, is it hot out. Uh, You know, it's like miserable hot, but... Uh, anyway, before I start, I want to mention uh, the extrication training we had this past week. Uh, great job from uh, Anthony and Rob. You guys did good. Uh, nowadays, most of our training is uh, online, you know, videos and lectures and things like that. So when we get a chance to put our hands on some tools and really uh, do physical stuff like that, it's, a, it's always great. You know, along with the warm weather, <laughs> warm weather this week, our ridiculous medical calls, they are back. I heard one go out for a blister on a toe. Yep, 911 for blister on a toll. And I heard one go out for someone that couldn't sleep. They called 911. I wish I could do that. So, you know, the corona, the COVID could only keep those calls at bay for so long. So I just want to say welcome back to the ridiculous medical stuff. Uh, I'm not going to talk about the obvious stuff in the current events this week, but I do want to talk about baseball. So I'm going to have a segment on uh, MLB. MLB is back. Then I want to talk about uh, a segment on the newest hockey expansion franchise, the Seattle Kraken. That's right. I'm uh, going to do a short segment on a Yamaha Hopper update, my Yamaha Hopper I've been working on, and then do a quick segment on the Great Outdoors Act of 2020. Uh, and the bourbon spotlight this week is not bourbon, but it's a summer drink with bourbon optional. I think you guys will like it. Uh, stay right here. Rackhouse House Ramblings, episode 17 is just getting started. Right, i'm back and this is the mlb baseball segment and i got kind of a surprise for you guys you know i'm writing this segment I'm sitting here at my table in my kitchen watching tigers opening day game of course they're in cincinnati and they're disappointing but you know what baseball's back and it's pretty cool i like baseball um but it's not the same you know the people in the stands the whole thing it just sounds really hollow when you watch it get, if you get a chance just watch it for at least a few minutes and give it a chance there's no fans yelling there's no cheering There's no taunting guys, and that, to me, is part of the game. Uh, I wanted to take a trip down memory lane. Well, at least for me, it was a trip down memory lane anyway. So the year is 1976. It was uh, the bicentennial of America, right? Gas was 56 cents a gallon. You could buy a Hershey's chocolate bar for 15 cents. And there was this huge uproar when Hershey's announced they wanted to increase it to 20 cents for 1977. No shit. No shit. So in 1976, I was nine years old. I lived down Western Street in Detroit. and was across from Patton Park. And that's where I played low league baseball. I'd buy baseball cards for the gum. And, you know, the popular players. We didn't collect them or anything like that. The sucky cards I would use in the spokes of my bicycle. If you took a clothespin, and that uh, would hold the baseball card up to your spokes. And for a few minutes, it'd make like this revving sound. You'd think you're on a motorcycle. At nine years old, that's what, what I did. So once the card got like soft and folded... I'd reach in my back pocket, grab another sucky player's card, and replace it right in my bicycle and off I was. So in the street in front of my house, you'd see littered with these little ba- uh, baseball cards that were all bent to shit and everything there laying in the street. But you know what? One card uh, that I did not use was my Mark Fidrich card. They called him the bird. And if you never heard about uh, of Mark the bird Fidrich, I'm going to tell you a little bit. This is a 21-year-old kid from Massachusetts, and he was invited to Tiger Spring Training. And you know, I was doing research and I found uh, an article in the free press that, you know, gives a little bit of history, you can go to Wikipedia and all that, but this one's from the free press article. It says he graduated from high school just 20 months before he played uh, Major League Baseball. He rose from Class A minor league to AAA in just four months. And he was a non-roster invitee to the camp. So the manager then, Ralph Hawk, was so impressed with the young pitcher he brought him up. And so I found this article, uh, it was published in 2016, different article by a guy named Bill Dow, you know, because I Googled Mark Fidrich and all that. And um, I'm gonna read that to you, that the title of the article, it says 40 years ago, Mark Fidrich took the country by storm and the anniversary of his hallmark performance is upon us. So this was dated June 27th, 2016, written by a guy named Bill Dow, D-O-W. And here we go. Six days before Americans gathered to celebrate the nation's bicentennial, attention was drawn to Detroit, where 18 million viewers watched ABC's Monday Night Baseball. They were first first introduced uh, to Tiger pitcher Mark the bird Fidrich when he faced the first-place New York Yankees. Though the game, Tuesday, marks 40 years ago to the day, the game was blacked out in Detroit. 48,000 fans who packed into Tiger Stadium Retreated to an experience they would never forget. I'm going to pause right there. Think about it. So 48,000 people are in uh, Tiger Stadium at Michigan and Trumbull. And you couldn't watch the game at home. It was blacked out. Was that for shit or what? So anyway, here he is, Mark Bird-Fidridge. He's on Monday Night Baseball. And because it was on Monday Night Baseball, they would black it out because they didn't want you staying home. They wanted you to come to the stadium. Was that shit or what? So anyway, I'll go out the article. For just that one remarkable season, in the summer of 1976, the lanky 21-year-old Fidrich, nicknamed for television's Big Bird of Sesame Street because of his flowing, curly, blonde locks, uh, quickly became one of the most endearing figures in baseball and Detroit. He also created renewed interest in a sport that had suffered through labor pains and lower attendance. Fans were enthralled by his schoolboy enthusiasm and field antics that include manicuring the mound on one knee before every inning, talking to himself out loud, aiming the ball like a dart, nervously strutting between outs, and thanking teammates, umpires, and whoever was around after every victory that included a curtain call in Detroit. Uh, I talked to older guys who knew the Babe Ruth era, and they said there was more excitement that summer than ever because Fid brought fun back to the game, former teammate John Walkenfuss said. Fidrich whose promising career was shortened by injuries and who died in 2009 on his Massachusetts farm at age 54, is now the subject of an MLB network documentary that will air in July. So remember this is 2016. When the bird stepped onto the mound and the national stage on June 28, 1976, he was supported by an intriguing script that had developed in just a two month period. 20 months after graduating from high school, then rising from class A minor league ball to triple A within a four month period, Fidrich was a non-roster invitee at the 1976 Tiger Spring Training Camp, but made the major league roster thanks to Tiger manager Ralph Hawk, who was impressed with the young pitcher. After just two brief relief appearances in which he faced six batters in the first month of the season, Fidrich was given his first major league start on May 15th against Cleveland at Tiger Stadium in front of 14,853 fans. So think about that. So that first, he was 14,000, but when it was the Monday night game, there was 48,000. <laughs> Sorry about the pause. Here we go. In front of 14,853 fans, that was a regional TV broadcast described by George Kell and Al Kaline. Mesmerized by his quirky antics and childlike exuberance, the Detroit love affair for Fidrich started when the rookie took a no-hitter into the seventh inning before a complete game two-to-one victory, along just two hits. Even though he lost his second start in a complete game 2 0 loss to Boston's Louis Tiant, Fidrich reeled off six consecutive complete game victories. And soon fans were buying buttons that said the bird is a word. Now think about that complete games. Back then, the pitcher pitched all nine innings. Nowadays, that's very, very rare. So here we go. The excitement surrounding the highly promoted Monday Night Baseball game came on ABC was evident when fans descended upon Tiger Stadium to grab remaining seats more than an hour before game time, only to learn from the masses walking away that it was a sellout. Fans weren't there to see the Yankees face the 32 and 35 Tigers. It was to see the rookie sensation with a 7-1 record and a 2.18 ERA, now being whispered as a candidate for the All-Star Game and American League Rookie of the Year honors. Mike Kramer, a Chicago attorney who grew up in Gross Point Woods, Finally remember fondly remembers as a 12-year-old watching the birds magic that evening while sitting in the lower left field grandstands. I saw the Cubs win two playoff games at Wrigley Field last year. It was fun and electric, but it wasn't nearly at the fever pitch that night as the game progressed. Bob Uecker, who along with Bob Prince and Warner Wolf called the action for ABC, warned the new bird watchers. He's one of the funniest guys I've ever seen come along in baseball in a long time. He has outstanding stuff. You're going to see a lot of antics from this young right-hander tonight. As noted in a 2013 biography, The Bird, the life and legacy of Mark Friedrich, author Doug Wilson wrote, Mark seemed to be all Prince Euchre, and Wolf were able to talk about on the air as they occasionally interrupted their discussions of the bird to interject minor details such as the batter, the score in the inning. The actual game seemed secondary. At one point, Prince declared, he's giving me duck bumps and I'm watching over 8,000 games. He's some kind of unbelievable. The cameras were almost always focused on Fidrich as he sprinted to the dugout after a third out, worked on his mound landscaping, and pointed the ball toward home plate while seemingly talking to the ball. With a 5-1 Tigers lead in the ninth, thanks mainly to home runs by Rusty Staub and Aurelio Rodriguez, Tigers fans were on their feet yelling support for Fidrich when Elrod Hendricks hit a weak rounder to second baseman Pedro Garcia for the third out in the game that only took one hour and 51 minutes. It's over, Wolf yelled in his ABC microphone. The Tigers act like Fidrich has just won the seventh game of the World Series while later declaring he has won this town. After shaking hands with his teammates, umpires, and a policeman standing on top of the Tigers dugout, Fidrich ran into the locker room where he would remain for several minutes before teammates convinced him to go back to the field for a curtain call. The crowd would not leave. I've been in baseball 35 years and I've never in my life seen anything like this, Prince said. Someone started the chant, we want the bird, and soon everyone in the stands joined in. It was extremely loud, said Kramer, who in 2009 wrote and produced an independent historical fiction film, Dear Mr. Fidrich, that pays homage to his hero. It was like cheering for an encore at a rock concert. At a rock concert with a long delay, as we wondered if he would ever come out, finally Wolf yelled into his microphone, here he comes, here he comes, this is unbelievable. When he emerged from the dugout, everybody went absolutely berserk, Kramer said. I, of course, couldn't drink beer, but I can tell you I was hungover the next day from excitement. After his June 28th nas- national debut, Fidrich became the darling of baseball, graced the covers of magazines, started the All-Star Game in Philadelphia along with his teammates, Ron Floor and Rusty Staub, and was selected to the American League Rookie of the Year after posting a record 19-9 record while leading the American League in complete games, 24 out of 29 starts, and the majors with a 2.34 ERA. LaFleur, Detroit center fielder, loved playing behind the bird. Like his other teammates, we liked that he threw strikes and worked fast, and we knew it would not be a long game, LaFleur said from his home in Florida. Because of that, we always We were always on our toes and wanted to make plays for him. Mickey Stanley played in left field that magical night. He was so great for baseball, the biggest draw there was. And the amazing thing is, he filled the stadiums when we were on the road. He challenged the hitters, even though he didn't know who they were. It was either I beat him or he beats me. But more importantly to me, Mark was simply a great human being, honest and sincere. Such a good kid. In his next start, Fidrich threw a complete game, four-hitter to defeat the Baltimore Orioles, four to zero, at Tiger Stadium in front of 51,032 fans. Baltimore slugger and Hall of Famer Reggie Jackson went 0 for 4 against the Bird. His antics never really bothered me because I looked at looked at it as a great show. Jackson said. His success was at such a high level that he had to respect what he was doing. I did enjoy he got excited when guys made great plays behind him. That was cool, and part of him being a kid while he was playing the game. He refused to grow up, which was super. He threw hard, kept the ball down, and it had really good movement. He had an unhittable slider, what we call an electric slider, and he had great control with it. Mark created a great deal of excitement that was special and unique, and it was very sad for him in baseball when he had arm trouble. According to Wilson, Fidrich's biographer, Fidrich drew 901, 239 fans in his 29 starts and almost single-handedly outdrew the Twins, the A's, the White Sox, and the Indians. The Tigers averaged 18,338 fans per game during the 76th season, but drew 33,649 per game when Fidrich pitched. Imagine that. That's almost double the fans. Despite his success, his fame never went to his head. He was the same guy I met as a non roster invitee in spring training as he was all through the season, former locker mate John Hiller said. I was so impressed with everything he did, how he handled himself, his worth ethic, and how he had time for everyone. He was so great to the fans. In recognition for his efforts, the Tigers gave Fidridge an estimated $34,500 bonus on top of his $19,000 salary. So now think about that. This kid comes to camp. Gets invited in and makes the team uh, rookie of the year, all-star game, and everything. It is making nineteen thousand dollars in salary, and he was drawing he was drawing in thirty-three thousand fans a game. Tigers felt so bad they gave him another thirty-four thousand five hundred. No shit. So uh, they also signed him to a three-year contract, uh, totaling an estimated two hundred seventy thousand. Recognized as one of the game's best pitchers with a personality that invigorated the game, Fidrich's career looked promising but then the superstar fell as quickly as he had risen. While playfully shagging balls in the outfield, at spring training the next season, he injured his knee. Although he returned to the mound on May 27th to great fanfare and had an impressive 6-2 start in the July 4 game the Baltimore Orioles, his arm went dead. He would never be the same. For the next seven years, he struggled to come back from his arm injury, which included a A stent in Evansville, under then-manager Jim Leland. Fidrich would have... Only 19 more league starts through the 1980 season, posting a record of 4-8. and eight. He did win his final major league start at Toronto on October 1st, 1980, but was pulled after five innings. Leland will never forget Fidrich's last game at Evansville in 1980 before being called up to Detroit. Mark was such a great kid, and we tried everything we could to get him back to the big leagues. Even in the minors, he would fill stadiums because everyone wanted to see him. The day he got called up, he walked into our locker room with grease all over him because he changed oil in our catcher's car. After he pitched that night, he went around and shook everyone's hands. Fidrich returned to Evansville for all the 1981 season before being released by the Tigers. He was signed by the Red Sox. He played Triple A Pawtucket 82 and 83 until finally quitting at 28. After his retirement, Fidrich returned to his hometown in Northborough, Massachusetts, where he purchased a farm, became a licensed commercial truck driver, was Married in 1986. A year later, his only child Jessica was born. Over the years, he made countless appearances for charity groups and continued to make himself accessible to fans. On April 13, 2009, he died in an accident while working underneath the truck on the farm. Former Tigers' great Willie Horton was one of the eulogists at Fidrich's funeral service. I told everyone that Mark is a beautiful young man, a special human being who loved life and people, Horton said. He is one of my heroes. Mark really helped baseball by bringing attention back to the game, and I think he should be recognized in some way at Cooperstown. With tears welling up in people's eyes, taken out to the ball game was played near the end of Bird's funeral. This is such a great story. I love this. That was a good article. Um, I love everything about the guy. And so while I'm doing this in my hands, I have one of my most favorite things. It's the Sports Illustrated Magazine with Mark Fidrich and Big Bird from Sesame Street on the cover. It's from June 6th in 1977, and I hold it so dearly. It's one of my most favorite things. And I took the magazine out of the protected plastic sleeve, <laughs> and I wanted to reread the article. Of course, you're not supposed to take it out of the plastic, but I did anyway. And it talks about his recovery from knee surgery, and it was this crazy thing. He tore his knee cartilage while shagging fly balls in spring training. No shit. So here he is out shagging, and you know, I go on YouTube, and I'm doing some research, and they have an interview with him, and he talks about this. Uh, in an in, in interview, he tells a story where he's um, out in the outfield with Rusty Staub, and of course it's spring training. Rusty's a veteran, and he's giving advice to the young pitcher, and he says, you're having a great training camp. You need to slow down, take it easy. I think he said, we've got 10 days left. So the bird goes on to say, just as that sentence came out of his mouth, a fly ball is hit their way. and Bird says to Rusty, you're going to get it? And Rusty says, nope. Well, Fidrich takes off in a sprint, makes a diving play like he's a high school kid when he lands, he feels something pop at his knee, and that was it. Rusty lectured him and said, what did I just say? Well, the bird wasn't the same ever again. That was a knee injury they talked about that kind of ended his career, because that way uh, his delivery was never, excuse me, never the same. So everything I've researched talks about his love for life, his love for baseball, his love for fans, and I think one of the things that draws me to the bird is the humility he's down to earth i mean this guy was like your next door neighbor so what i would tell you go to youtube and just type in mark figure and you'll see all these different antics where he's on the mound and it's crazy this guy would talk to the ball he would talk to himself he would like pat all the dirt around the pitcher's mound and it's really comical to see but these are all the things he did to psych himself up to get him ready to play to throw the ball and they're all motivational for him it's really cool and one of the other cool things I found was that uh, he has there's a foundation that his family started. It's called the Mark Fidrich Foundation. They raise money for uh, special needs and handicapped kids and all those sorts of things. So check it out. Do a quick Google on Mark Fidrich the bird. Hope you guys enjoy it. Baseball is back, and I'll be right back. Okay, I'm back and I've got a Yamaha for update. So if you remember from the other episodes, it's a 1984 Yamaha QT50 moped. (laughs) So here's the latest. I replaced the oil seals on both sides of the crankshaft. That's two of them. Took the head off, inspected it, and there's like this oversized piston that's on it. So it's no longer 49 cc, it's 60 cc. Put on a couple new head gaskets, one at the base and one at the head. Oiled the piston sleeve, put the piston and the rings back in the cylinder head also uh, replace the intake gasket and put a new carburetor on all shiny new air filter and all that and although i'm sure like the main fuel jet will need to get bigger i think i'll have to mess with that in a little while here maybe in a week or two when i start it up and um what else did i do replace the rear brake cable let me think and grease that rear bearing and doing a few more things so it'll be a couple more weeks you guys might hear the rev of the Yamaha (laughs) Yamaha per engine so if you're interested I thought you would I just wanted to talk about it so Rackhouse Ramblings episode 17 I'll be right back with something a little more interesting okay I'm back let's talk hockey NHL hockey Uh, The latest NHL expansion franchise is in Seattle, and they just announced their mascot was the Kraken. They had a bunch of fanfare and press releases that showed off the team colors and their new logo and all. It's pretty cool. Um, But you know what? Before, let me back up a little bit. Before we dive too deep, in that, let me give you a little background. So they had to start a new franchise in the city of Seattle, and you actually have to submit, like, an application to the NHL and everything. So these guys, in February of 2018... Submitted an application, and you have to give a deposit of $10 million. No shit. Because the NHL has a franchise fee of $650 million. That's like the entrance fee to get into the NHL. No shit. So there's three guys that own the team. David Bonderman, Jerry Bruckheimer, and Todd Lewicki. Lewicki? Bonnerman's is a uh, billionaire businessman, Bruckheimer. He's like a famous uh, filmmaker, and producer, and wiki is a sports executive guy. It's been involved in a bunch of different teams. And so I found most of this, almost, I should say most of it on uh, Wikipedia. Uh, if you want to look it up and go check it out. The team's general manager is Ron Francis, who came from uh, the Carolina Hurricanes. And then another interesting fact I found is so an NHL team has to have a minor league team, right? So their minor league team um, plays out of Palm Springs, California, which sounded kind of weird to me because that's like a desert, right? So speaking of the Kriken, I wanted to look up what the hell is a kraken. So of course, guess where I went? Wikipedia. <laughs> uh, it says here, I'm going to read their definition. The kraken is a legendary cephalopod-like sea monster of gigantic size in Scandinavian folklore. According to the Norse sagas, the Kriken dwells off the coasts of Norway and Greenland and terrorizes nearby sailors. Authors over the years have postulated that the legend may have originated from sightings of giant squids that can grow 40 to 50 feet in length. The sheer size and fearsome appearance attributed to the kraken have made it a common ocean-dwelling monster in various fictional works. The kraken has been the focus of many superstitious sta- sailors passing the North Atlantic, and especially sailors from the Nordic countries due to their proximity and its Scandinavian origins. Throughout the centuries, the Kraken has been a staple part of sailors' superstitions and mythos being heavily linked to sailors' ability of telling a tall tale. <laughs> so now let's talk about, um, to, to start a team, you have to, uh, they do what's called an expansion draft. So that means you get to pick players from each team. And so there's rules about that. And so as I'm looking up um, what the uh, expansion draft rules are going to be, I I found a good article on ProstarHockey.com. It's by a guy named A.J. Lee, and it came out March 20th of this year. I'll read it for you. It says, who will the NHL Seattle team be, ball of the totem, seal? This is before they knew they were the Kraken. But more important, when the NHL comes to Seattle in 2021, who will the team include? Well, they have an expansion draft. When the Seattle expansion draft takes place in June 2021, The hope in the Emerald City will be that the Emeralds, or Kraken, uh, replicate what happened in Vegas. The Golden Knights became the best expansion team in North American sports history, winning their division, blitzing through the Western Conference playoffs with just three losses on their way to a berth in the Stanley Cup final in their first season of existence. The good news for the Wales or Criken oh, is that the 2021 expansion draft will be conducted under the same rules that Vegas exploited to such great success. The author says exploited, right? So let's see. The NHL's 32nd team needs players. So 30 of its existing franchises, Vegas is exempted, have to make players available. The Let's see. The Criken will select one player from each team, totaling at least 14 forwards, at least nine defensemen and three goalies. When making players available in the draft, teams can protect seven forwards, three defensemen and a goalie, or eight skaters and a goalie with these provisions. Players with no movement clauses who decline to waive those clauses must be protected. First and second year NHL players and all unsigned draft choices are exempt from selection do not count toward protection limits. One available player must be a defenseman who is under contract in 2021 and 2022 and played at least 40 NHL games in 20 in 2020 and 2021 or 70 games in 19 to 20 and 2021 20 combined blah blah blah. Two available players must be forwards who are under contract. they're going play at least 41 available player must be a goalie who is under contract or who is a restricted free agent uh, having received a qualifying offer from his team. players who missed the final 60 games of the 2021 20, season, or who have otherwise been confirmed to have a career-threatening injury cannot be exposed in the draft so seattle's picks must include not fewer than 20 players under contract da, 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 da. not be bought out from those contracts earlier than the summer of 2022 oh so there you go that was all the fine print so anyway seattle kraken there you go the new expansion team when i hear more i will pass it on this is Rackhouse Ramblings number 17 we'll be right back Okay, I'm back, and I've got another short segment. This is about the Great American Outdoors Act. And if you haven't heard of it, uh, this act, uh, this piece of legislation uh, just passed Congress waiting for the uh, signature of the president. And it provides funding for our national parks. And I guess not just national parks, national land, American parks, all that. And so it. I guess the other part, as I'm reading into it, it says the Land and Water Conservation Fund also gets money. But I'm excited about this because nine and a half billion dollars in funding goes to all the backlog maintenance in our national parks. And think of all like the historic buildings, the monuments, all these things that need repair, even restoring, um, even just taking care of our trail. Think about that one, so our trails. And I can tell you personally, um, we hike in the, nas- here our National Forest, and our trail system sucks. Nobody trims branches, nobody cuts anything. Um, all they do is let things kinda just go and go and go. Um, Campgrounds, think about that, in national forests. Believe it or not, there are many, many, many campgrounds in our national forests that don't get taken care of. It's a shame, it really is. So I could go on and on and on, but keep your eye open. Check this thing out. It's called the Great American Outdoors Act. You're gonna be hearing more about it in the future. You're gonna hopefully see more repairs in our national parks and our national forests. Um, We spend so much money going to war all around the globe, launching rockets into space. It's about time we spend some money on one of our greatest treasures, our public land. So that's a short segment. I'll be right back. All right, Rackhouse Ramblings, episode 17. Uh, and the bourbon Spotlight's going to be a little bit different here. Um, I mentioned quite a few times Costco lemonade, right? I love this shit. So what I've been doing lately, I kind of stumbled on my own little refreshing summer drink, strawberry lemonade. And so what I'll do is I take a recycled sangria bottle. And when I buy it from Costco, it has this flip top reusable cap. It reminds me of like a beer growler. It has a little rubber grommet on it and you flip it over and it seals. So I pop that open, rinsed out all the sangria, of course. <laughs> and I slice up like three or four frozen strawberries. They're kind of like icy strawberries and I squeeze them through the top of the bottle. Then I top the bottle off with Costco lemonade, flip the cap back on, shake it up, put it in the fridge for about an hour, and that lets everything kind of blend and marry together. And then I serve it over ice. And I'm telling you, chilled strawberry lemonade is so good. So you should try it. And as a bonus, if you do want to add uh, bourbon to it, one ounce. One shot in there uh, over ice, I highly recommend it. I've been drinking it non-alcoholic. Remember, if you do, Drink it with alcohol. Be responsible. Don't drink and drive. That's all I have for this week. Thank you guys so much for listening to Rackhouse Ramblings. I'll be back with more stuff. Everyone be safe and thanks for listening.